0: You're listening to More Than a Song, episode 480. As we get started today, I encourage you to download today's episode guide as a way to take what I introduce on the episode and then turn it into actionable steps to interact with the Bible for yourself. So you can grab your episode 480 guide at michellenezat.com forward slash 480 download. And if you've already subscribed to my email list, the guide is already in your inbox, ready to help you discover and meditate on God's word in new ways. Now, it's been my practice for the last nine plus years to feature Christmas songs during the month of December. Yeah, I've been hosting more than a song for nine years. It's wild. And actually, my 10th anniversary is coming up in February, so it's closer to 10 than it is nine. But whether you're listening to this in December of 2023, when I release it, or any other day into the future, let it give you a good reason to read the story of the birth of Christ again. In fact, I hope you're listening to this in July, because why should we relegate reading scripture about the birth of Christ to one season of the year? It's a story worth reading, and reading. Reading until he returns. The sibling band Cain sings about a few names given to Christ in the Old Testament and then fulfilled in the New Testament. Their song, Wonderful, inspired me to read the prophetic words of Isaiah that leads to the story of the birth of Christ in Luke. But before we jump into scripture, let's listen. Was first drawn to the lyrics of the opening verse of the song and it, they say gathered round the table so much to be thankful for. It's Christmas. Oh, how I've missed this. But through the joy and laughter, you can feel the sadness because this Christmas everyone's not with us. Now, I have the privilege of having a close family and family that is close, meaning we live near each other, near enough that we can gather at Christmas and other holidays and celebrations, and we do. And by gathering, we make new memories together, and that builds a foundation of relationship to then keep gathering. Now, we're not perfect. (laughs) We have our share of family drama, but we do gather, and for that, I am thankful. Now, the lyric that says, you can feel the sadness because this Christmas, everyone's not with us makes me think of our dear family members who have already passed away, but it also makes me think of the ones who won't be there because they can't or won't gather. Now This year will be a first, our first Christmas without my grandmother, who we lost this May, and I miss her so much. And so I relate to the plea of the song that says, Oh Jesus, can you make this season wonderful? Now now he can. Our wonderful counselor is just that, wonderful so let's head over to isaiah chapter 9 to see when this name for our savior jesus christ came on the scene let's start in verse 1 of isaiah chapter 9 in the former time he brought into contempt the land of zebulun and the land of naphtali but in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea the land beyond the jordan galilee of the nations the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has has shown light, or light has shown. Now let's skip down to verse six. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Will do this. Now, allow me to give you some historical context for this prophecy. Historical context is a bite, by the way, Bible interaction tool exercise, B I T E. And these are exercises that I use to keep my time in God's word varied and effective. And learning more about the historical context helps because you have to remember that the original prophecy had an original audience. You know, God does intend, did intend for it to remain in his word for all time. But first things first, it was to the people in Isaiah's day. And one of my commentaries uh, said this, and just as a warning, it does get pretty graphic if you have kids listening with you. But John Corson's application commentary says shortly after Isaiah gave this prophecy, the Assyrians, a bloodthirsty people, swooped into Israel and conquered the ten northern tribes. As they carried their captives back to Assyria, they did so with extreme cruelty, leading the jewel the Jews across the desert with fish. Hooks in their mouths. Along the way, the Assyrians would skin many of the Jews alive. They would cut off the heads of those who complained and stack the heads in large pyramids to be left in the desert as a warning to any would be rebels. Now, When I read this, I couldn't help but see the parallel to the brutality of Hamas against Israel on October 7th of this year. And if you've watched the news or read reports or seen eyewitness accounts or... Even seeing some of the graphic videos, you can begin to feel the pain and desperation and longing for rescue for the hostages and redemption for the death and destruction that they've endured. So lay all of those very present, current thoughts and feelings on top of this text because God's chosen people would be in the same kind of place, longing for that wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace to make things right. Now, generations after this looked back on this prophecy with desperation. They, they sought what was promised, a child born to fulfill the Davidic covenant, bearing those names, those titles, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. Now, we know this child is Christ, and Christ is the promised Messiah found throughout scripture um, that He's Jesus, and uh, there's promises, again, all throughout scripture, but all over Isaiah. So in my preparation for today, I did discover that in the Aramaic version of this text, so again, remember, we have many English translations of our text. We've talked about this before, but there was an Aramaic version or Aramaic translation. They assigned the titles that I've been mentioning over and over. They assigned those titles to God. They, They did allow that Messiah... Would be the prince of peace but they said he would be in the presence of the almighty everlasting god the wonderful counselor but that's translating the text to match your interpretation not allowing the text itself to lead to proper interpretation now we know that jesus is god but the jewish monotheistic sensitivities would not allow divine attributes to be applied to David's descendant. So they added words to help the reader understand it their way. And I've talked in previous episodes about the importance of the doctrine of the Trinity. And this is just a prime example where it rises to the surface again. So that's just a side note um, as I studied in the historical context. But as you ponder how Christ is the fulfillment of this prophecy... Uh, let it inspire you to read the text of the Christmas story again. So I read through Luke chapter 1 and 2 this week. And uh, I've read it many times before, but it was really worth reading again. I stopped short during Zechariah's prophecy when he talks about Uh, The tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. That's in verse 78 and 79 of chapter one. Now, remember what I read in Isaiah nine, two, it said the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them, light has shone." So, and of course the Prince, the name Prince of Peace in verse six Surely a prince of peace would guide our feet in the way of peace. So you can see that this prophecy is talking about Jesus and it echoes Isaiah chapter 9. Another reference to Isaiah chapter 9 points to Jesus as the fulfillment of this prophecy in Matthew chapter 4. When it's talking about Jesus, he's moving his ministry into the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. And so in verse 14, of chapter four, Matthew says, so so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. That light is Jesus, that, that child to be born was Jesus. But let's talk about this name, Wonderful Counselor. In an article from gotquestions.org, dot org, and again. I'm going to link to all of these outside resources in the show notes, michelleknizat.com forward slash 480. You can find those there. But in this article in gotquestions.org, it says that Isaiah calls the Messiah the wonderful counselor indicates the kind of character this coming king has. The word wonderful in this passage literally means incomprehensible. The Messiah will call cause us to be full of wonder. And the word is, is much weightier than the way it's used in normal conversation today. We say things are wonderful if they're pleasant, lovely, or the least bit likable, but Jesus is wonderful in a way that is boggling to the mind. And then later in that same article, we learn about the word for counselor. It says in ancient Israel, a counselor was portrayed as a wise king, such as Solomon, giving guidance to his people. And then Isaiah uses this word again in chapter 28, verse 29, to describe the Lord. It says, this also comes from the Lord of hosts. He is wonderful in counsel and excellent in wisdom. Jesus is a wise counselor. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. That's what John says in in John chapter 2. He is able to advise his people thoroughly because he's qualified in ways no human counselor is. And Colossians 2 says, In Christ is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, including the knowledge of all human nature. Uh, And Jesus always knows what we're going through, and he always knows the right course of action. So let's explore some of those scripture references together. Uh, this is similar to taking the bite of following the cross references. So cross references often link directly to a word or a phrase elsewhere in scripture. I did that, right? Isaiah 9 was quoted in Matthew 4. We knew that even just from the text because it said as it fulfilled uh, uh, the words of Isaiah are fulfilled when this happened. So some of the cross references are obvious, some are are in the notes of your Bible or in the margins of your study Bible to help you see other places where those words or phrases are used. In this case, uh, we have taken the bite of consulting an outside resource. They've listed a few areas of scripture, and so following those references rather than just kind of taking their word for it. Is a really good habit. So first of all, let's read Isaiah twenty-eight, twenty-nine. Again, it says, This also comes from the Lord of hosts. He is wonderful in counsel and excellent in wisdom. God is wonderful in counsel and excellent in wisdom. And this child to be born is God. So it's no wonder that he's a wonderful counselor. And remember, I I, I read it before, but I'll read it again. Colossians 2, 3 teaches that in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now, Proverbs teaches that wisdom comes from God and Colossians teaches that in Christ all wisdom is hidden. So it, it makes sense to conclude that in Christ is where the storehouse of wisdom is found. He is our wonderful counselor and he is God. And so that's how all of these things are true. So how will wisdom come into your heart though? So through Christ and through receiving the words of God. Another name for Christ is Logos, meaning word. You cannot separate the wisdom of Christ from the word of God. Uh, Psalm 119, verse 24 says, Your testimonies are my delight, they are my counselors. So again, Christ is Logos, the word. And so it makes sense that God's words, his testimonies, are our counselors. But we need to receive them, treasure them, and follow them. Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1-5 through five says, My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. I wish I had time to read the entire chapter with you. uh, But when you keep reading in verse six, it starts out by saying, The Lord gives wisdom, and He gives the type of counsel that you're seeking. If you are desperate for a wonderful counselor this season, Christ is your source of protection. Understanding, justice, knowledge, discretion, understanding, and deliverance—all of that is included in Proverbs chapter two. You'll read, you'll see that when you read it for yourself. But when you keep reading, uh, wise counsel only benefits you if you follow it. Proverbs two twenty says, "So you will walk in the way of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous." So keeping to the paths of the righteous reminds me of what we studied in the last episode, episode 479, when we talked about our good shepherd. Our good shepherd brings us back to the paths of righteousness. And then that's the path that we follow when we follow his lead. Now, as we meditate on our Wonderful Counselor, let's take the bite of considering the opposite. I take this bite when I want to understand something better. I find when I look at what it's not, I have a better understanding of what it is. So what would the opposite of a Wonderful Counselor be? I would say a Wicked Counselor. Really, any counsel that is not grounded in the ways of our Wonderful Counselor Um, Every other source is going to be tainted by sin or wickedness. But for a practical example, let's look at Job's friends. We studied the book of Job in episode 469, but even if you've only read Job once or heard about it, you might remember what his friends are like. And In a commentary exalting Jesus in Job, I read this, "'Counselors, like Job's three friends, are full of spiritual diagnosis and prescription, but after all their help, we often feel worse instead of better.'" Some of the answers Job received from his friends are true to a point, at least technically so. Job's counselors methodically and pedantically recite their bookish precepts to Job and then slap their conclusions onto Job's life like labels on a specimen bottle. But they horribly mislabeled Job, so much so that God would have to chastise them in the end for their counseling malpractice. Thankfully, we don't have to depend on human counselors. Jesus is our wonderful counselor, as Isaiah describes him in Isaiah nine six. In Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, Colossians two three. Human counselors are are helpful at times, but as in Job's case, they are not infallible. We need an infallible guide through life. Only Jesus can fulfill that need. He is wisdom incarnate. He has given us the Holy Spirit of truth to indwell us. He has given us his written word, the Bible, to guide us. Thanks be to God for his wonderful counselor. Couldn't have said it better. So uh, we can see clearly what kind of counselor Jesus is not, but what makes him so wonderful. And I would say one aspect is his compassion. His, I'm going to butcher this Greek word, but splank. Nizomai, um, is literally to feel compassion. So our wonderful counselor really cares. He feels for us. He doesn't just pity our situation. He feels sympathy, empathy, and compassion. Um, referencing our Good Shepherd theme again from episode 479, Matthew 9, 36 says this, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He had nizomi He felt compassion because seeing sheep without a shepherd moves our good shepherd, our, our wonderful counselor, and it moves him so much that he gave his own life to call us to himself. So, as you search the scripture and search for those hidden treasures of wisdom in Christ, how might you recognize his voice? Well, let's look at some of our wonderful counselors' techniques in scripture. Jesus uses probing questions, like in Mark chapter 10, verse 18, it said, And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. I'm working harder at asking questions to counsel. Um, I'm a mom, and so I tend to pontificate (laughs) rather than asking questions. And it, because it kind of seems counterintuitive, because counsel seems like information you lack given to you in the form of guidance. But Jesus asked a lot of questions. Understanding how we see the world will go a long way toward allowing Christ to transform the way we think. So probing questions help get to the heart of the matter. So Jesus used probing questions, but he also confronted gently, but still Uh, consider the woman at the well. John chapter four, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him. I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying, I have no husband you've had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband, what you have said is true. Now, Jesus didn't yell and scream or shame and belittle, but he did speak the truth in love. All right, what other technique did our wonderful counselor use? Well, he sought agreement on the purpose or goals of the encounter. So consider Mark 10, 51, when Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. Or what about John 5, 6? When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? So again, Jesus is um, trying to get agreement uh, on the purpose or the goals of the encounter. One more technique, Um, answering questions with questions. (laughs) And didn't I just talk about this one? I mean, sort of. And even in the one previous where he was trying to get um, agreement, he used questions to do it. Uh, There's a slight difference in that Jesus questions as an answer to questions uh, aimed at clarifying the intent of the questioner. So let's consider Luke chapter 10. Uh, It's when the lawyer stands up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? Again, he's trying to clarify the intent of the questioner. And uh, he answered, the the lawyer answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, You've answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? So then Jesus replies with the story of the Good Samaritan. And then he asked, Jesus asked at the end of this story, Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Again, the question to Jesus was, Who's my neighbor? So then Jesus tells a story and then asks the question, Who do you think is the neighbor? (laughs) And the lawyer said, The one who showed him mercy. And then Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. So one one final thought as we wrap up. Our song pleads for Jesus to be wonderful in this season. And of course he is. But I challenge you to allow him to be your wonderful counselor. Allow his voice to take up some airtime in your thoughts. Let him ask probing questions. Let him gently confront your sin. Let him seek agreement on your purpose and goals. Let him clarify your intent. Let him guide you and then follow. So what's next? We'll read the prophecy in Isaiah chapter nine and then go read the birth account of Christ in Luke one and two. Meditate on this name, wonderful counselor. Consider the compassion of Christ Seek the wisdom hidden in the robes of your Prince of Peace, and allow His words to be your counselors. Allow them to probe and confront and clarify and guide you in paths of righteousness. And while you're in God's Word this week, let me know how you're doing. You can email me, michelle at michelleknizat.com. You can hop on Twitter or Instagram at michelleknizat.com. Michelle L. Nizat is my public Facebook page. Uh, We can talk about what you're learning there. Now, More Than a Song is a proud member of the NRT Podcast Network. Check out other podcasts in the network and Christian music resources at newreleasetoday.com And then don't forget to grab your episode guide at michelleknizat.com forward slash 480 download. Now with that in mind, I want to thank my newest subscribers who've subscribed lately like Joy from Pennsylvania, Genesis from Alabama, Joseph from the UK, Kimberly from Texas, Shannon from Louisiana, Patty from Nebraska, Jeffrey from Michigan, Christina from the Philippines, Joanna from Kansas, and Grizel from Pennsylvania. Welcome. Now, don't forget, you can listen to the podcast directly on my website, michelleneezat.com, or your podcast listening app of choice. And if you have not left a review yet, oh, what a Christmas gift that would be for me. Go to lovethepodcast.com forward slash more than a song. Well, that's it for this episode of More Than a Song. Next time, I will be featuring Generous God Gloria by Naomi Rain to dive into scripture. If you liked this episode, however, would you mind sharing it with others? I've made it really easy. With just one click, you can share via Facebook, X, or email. Just head over to michelleknizat.com forward slash 480. While you're there, I'd love to hear from you. Click on comment to join the conversation. Until next time, take time to meditate on God's word and consider his ways.